on the streets of the Bronx is where I wanna be. Standing on the corner, singing good old harmony. I'll be waiting for the man to come along and discover me. This is the other side of midnight. I am Frank Morano, and very, very lucky to be joined this morning by one of the greatest storytellers of all time. And it doesn't even matter if the form of that story is a one-man show on a stage. Doesn't matter if the form of that story is a film, a podcast, or even a beautiful bowl of Capellini Pomodoro. He's incredibly outspoken, and at times seems just as tough as some of the characters he's played over the years. If you doubt me, just tell him you want to do away with Columbus Day. Rumor has it he's even in the cigar business now. I am very, very pleased uh, to be joined by Academy Award-nominated actor, screenwriter, producer, playwright, restaurateur, whose works include the legendary one-man show and film, A Bronx Tale, the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, Chaz Palminteri. Chaz, it's great to talk to you again. Oh, great to talk to you, Frank. It's uh... I hope I could follow that introduction there. Go ahead. Oh, please. Uh, you are the closest thing I know to a, a true 21st century renaissance man. Uh, Chaz, uh, you've been so involved in films for the last couple of decades, and uh, a lot of people are celebrating with the end of the writer's strike. The uh, actors are congratulating the writers on uh, the fact that it looks like the strike is coming to an end. Uh, do you think that the sag after strike will follow suit anytime soon? Oh, I think so. I think so. I think uh, uh, people finally got the message that, you know, we're standing together and, you know, you just can't uh, not pay people for their work. You just can't do that. You can't be streaming things. And then and then the writer and, and the actors don't get paid. I mean, that, that's that's crazy. You can't do that. I mean, uh, you also just can't take our images and then make other and put him in other movies. I mean, that's insane, you know. So uh, finally, uh, they realized that hey, we're standing together, and we're not going to do it, and that's it. You know, obviously, Chaz, I think a lot of folks know you best from your work with A Bronx Tale, both the stage show, which we're going to talk about in just a second, and obviously yeah. the iconic film. You knew A Bronx Tale was going to be a hit when you were doing that as a one-man show. You've told me before how you declined repeated very generous offers at a time when you were not necessarily in a financial position to do so. How did you know uh, A Bronx Tale was going to be as big of a hit as it was? Well... You know, to say it was going to be a hit, I, I, I knew it was good. Did I know it was going to be a hit? No, but I knew what I wrote. And when I performed it and the reaction I got from people that I had something special because uh, the crowds kept getting bigger. I, I was selling out every theater in L.A. when I moved into a bigger theater. Uh, I, I had, uh, at the time, I had $200 in the bank. They offered me $250,000 after the second week of doing it. Uh, but they didn't want me to play Sonny. They didn't want me to write the screenplay. And I, and I uh, refused. I said, no, I want to play Sonny. I want to write the screenplay. And about a month later, uh, they offered me half a million dollars. 
and people thought I was crazy. And then about a month, no, less than that, about two weeks after that, I got offered $1 million. And again, I refused. And then only a few weeks after I turned down a million, I did the show one night, uh, and I got off stage, and people gave me the standing ovation, as always, like I was always getting every night. And the guy, stage manager, said, you better get in your dressing room, Robert De Niro was waiting for you. And I said, what? He said, yeah, he just saw the show, and he, he's down in your dressing room. So I went down to the dressing room in the theater, and there was Bob De Niro. And he said uh, how great the show was. He goes, he goes, you did the movie. You did like a movie on stage. And I said, yeah, that was my idea, Bob. And, and, he, and he knew what was going on. And he said, look, uh, I, I, he said, I'll tell you what. You should play Sonny. You'll be great. And you should direct it. Oh, excuse me. You should write it because it's your life. It'll be honest. He says, I'll play your father, Lorenzo, and I will direct it. And that's the way it'll be if you shake my hand. And I shook his hand, and that was 34 years ago, and I've been on a ride of it since. After that, I just exploded into the nomination for the Academy Award and then uh, Usual Suspects, Bullets Over Broadway. And I've been, you know, I've been here for like all these years now. That was the big thing, uh, yeah. It seems hard to believe, but this Thursday is actually going to be the 30th anniversary of the release right. of that motion picture. And as you said, over the last 30 years, you've done a lot of great motion pictures, not only Bullets Over Broadway, but uh, even right. something like A Night at the Roxbury. And as a craps yeah. player myself, one of one of my one of my favorite films that you've done is Yonkers Joe. But the question I have for you is you're still doing a Bronx tale as a one man show just next month. You're going to be performing in Massachusetts and in Pennsylvania. We have a lot right. of listeners in both places. People can check out the details at chazpalmentary.net. 30 years after your work right. has been a blockbuster film. Why do you still do this show when your career has gone in so many other directions? Right. I mean, that's true. This will be my 1,025th show that I'll be doing. I've been doing the show for basically 30 years, uh, 34 years, actually. Uh, and I do it because it is so damn good. I got to be honest with you. It's a great show. People see it not once, Frank. They've seen it 10, 20, 30 times. I mean, for people, I always tell people, go to my Instagram, and my schedule is on there. You'll see my schedule on Instagram, or you can go to chazpalmentary.net, one or the other. And it, it's a show that just people cry at the end. They're laughing. They're crying. They stand up and cheer. It's, it's one of those things when you write something that's lightning in a bottle. And I do, I do the movie on stage mm. myself. I play now. There's nothing. I've parts. seen it twice. There's never been anything like this. No, no, no. There hasn't. There hasn't been anything like it. I actually do the film, the whole film, and they go, "Well, how do you do that?" I go, "I can't explain it. You have to. You have to see it. You have to see it." 
you know. And, and again, if people so, want to check out the uh, upcoming shows and the dates, they can go to chazpalmentary.net. You know more than anybody how difficult it is to make it in show business, to make it in the entertainment business. It's almost the equivalent of winning the lottery. And a lot of times when people play the lottery, they think to themselves, oh, what would I do if I won the lottery? What am I going to do if this person asked me for money? What right. if that, I'm going to do if that person asked me for money? There's one story you've got to confirm for me whether it's true or not. Maybe it's just myth. Maybe it's folklore. But I've heard that right before you hit it big with the film version of A Bronx Tale, you asked a bunch of friends of yours to borrow <laughs> a significant amount of money so that you yes. would be in a position to know who to lend money to when you were living high on the hog. Is that true? That's very true. Actually, I did it because I knew I wasn't going to be able to get it. So I knew they weren't going to ask me when I got the money. That's a true story. Yes. So tell folks what happened. What did you What did you do? How many people did you ask, and for how much? Uh, there was it's four or five, and out of the five, only one person still called me back and asked and asked me that he wanted twenty five thousand to buy a house, and I said I can't give you that. No. You know, <laughs> I knew these guys. I grew up with them, but I knew they were all, uh, you know, they were great guys, but they were all shakers and bakers, you know. Uh, so talk I about Chaz to lend me 10, what was it, five, I think it was 5000 some were 10000 And I said, look, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm about to make a big score. I'll pay you back. And they all said, Chaz, come on. I, I'm married. And I knew they couldn't do it because they were married <laughs> and got kids and I said, look, don't worry. I just took a shot. Don't even worry about it. We're still good, man. <laughs> so I knew it. And two weeks later, I get this check. And they say, holy shit, you were right. You said you were going to make a school. I said, I know. I can't believe it. This is great. And they said, Chad, is it possible you should lend me 10000 I said, one guy had the balls to ask me. <laughs> but they, the other guys wouldn't ask me because they knew they couldn't give it to me at the time. You know, you know what I mean? But, yeah, it was a Machiavellian trick. That's a true story, yes. Uh, Chaz, a couple of weeks from now is Columbus Day, at least in the places that still celebrate it. So far, at least 12 states don't celebrate Columbus Day. They've replaced it with Indigenous Peoples Day or some other similar holiday. Uh, I think in South Dakota, it's uh, Native American Day instead. But Alaska, Hawaii, Iowa, Louisiana, Maine, Michigan, New Mexico, North Carolina, right. Oregon. It's Indigenous Peoples Day. And now there's talk yet again of taking down the Columbus statue. The folks that have been responsible for this, uh, changing the name of the holiday, wanting to take down the statue, they paint a very negative portrait of Columbus, what he did when he was alive, his role as a colonizer. As far as you're concerned, why are they wrong about renaming Columbus Day and taking the Columbus statue down? Well, you know, I, I've been fighting this fight uh, for years. First of all, they're never taking the Columbus statue down in, in uh, you know, Columbus. Sorry. It's not happening. First of all, uh, thank God for uh, Como, Andrew Como, the governor who, who made it a landmark. So that's out. Can't take it down. Not happening. The landmark. It's over. I don't know why people keep bringing that up, but it's not happening. Columbus. Look, you cannot judge people's morality 500 years ago. You cannot. It's impossible. It's impossible to do that. Okay, so I don't understand. That's how people got land. They colonized. Okay, so to say, and when Columbus was there, it was peaceful. When he left, okay, there was a tribe called the Caribs. That was, there were these Indian tribes. 
that did human sacrificing that would attack his people. What did his people do while he was away? They fought back. They did. They fought back and they killed a lot of them. Yes. But that's the way the morality was. I mean, so to say that he was this or he was that, you want to take away George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Lincoln, because some of them were slave owners? That was the way it was back then. Was it right? Of course not. Of course not. But you can't judge that. What you're doing is you're wiping history. So let's get rid of, let's, you know, let's uh, uh, get rid of, uh, let's hate all the Germans because of the Holocaust. You're not going to do that. Those were those people. They were horrible people. And to do that, the humans was horrible. Does that mean I hate all Germans? No, I don't. The people that are, uh, uh, you know, that it's, you cannot, you just can't do that. It's wrong, man. And, and you could go back into any individual's history throughout history and pick something they did that was objectionable, something that they did that was wrong when judged by today's standards. So I'm with you to go back five centuries and try to try to pretend like uh, we're applying 21st century mores to 1492. Exactly, Frank. It, so we would have left the Indians alone. So let's just say, let's say we did that. We said, all right, you guys stay here. We're going to go. So what would we be now? I don't know. Uh, a country of teepees? Would there be any progress? That's well, how progress it, goes. Yeah, n- not yeah. only that, there'd be no tomatoes in Italy, no Flor- no oranges in Florida. Exactly. It no would coffee, be no coffee. It, no it's a, it, it, yeah, I, I think it's silly. I'm with you on that. I'm thrilled you're doing it, stuff. It, it's on, a uh, silly uh, thing to do. But you don't think every everybody has, has you know, slavery is a horrible thing. Of course it is, but you want to just wipe it out? And so what's going to happen now in 50 years from now? People are going to forget about that it ever happened, and somebody might do it again. So you, you, if, you, if you try to hide history, you're doomed to repeat it. You can't. Listen, we understand these things happen. Accept it, and that's the way it is. Okay, but first of all, indigenous people have their day. They have their own day. I think it's August 19th. Of, October 19th, I don't, I don't know the exact date, but you want to take away Italian-Americans, that's our day to celebrate, just like the Puerto Ricans have. Everybody has this day. Why can't we? have been celebrating this day for, what, 125 years peacefully? And now you want to, you want to hurt all Italian, Italian-Americans in America? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? It's not going to happen. And you know what? I predict that all these places who changed it are going to go back and make an Italian-American. I predict that. You watch and see. That that would be a nice thing. I'd love to see that. Uh, Chaz, you've already been... You've been generous with your time, and I know it's early, but I have to ask you about one or two other things. You alluded to Bullets Over Broadway. I think you were nominated for an Academy Award with that. It's one of my favorite Woody Allen films, and it looks like Woody's next film, Coupe de Chance, is going to be his last. Now, so many of the actors that have worked with Woody over the years, they've described him as something really special as a director. How would you characterize him? What was your experience like working with him? Well, the, the great, the wonderful thing about Woody Allen as a director, first of all, he's one of the, absolutely one of the smartest people I've ever met when it comes to directing and knowing what he wants. He, he, he cast. Woody 
And Marty Scorsese is the same way. They, they cast people where they don't have to tell them how to do the part. They could see that they are the part. They know how to do it. I was a writer. I was a guy who grew up in a neighborhood. He just knew that I could do this. You know, if, he, if you're perfect for the movie, he very rarely talks to you. Very rarely. In fact, when he talks to you a lot, you better get worried because you might get fired. You know, if he starts telling you how to do it, that's not a good sign. And he would let me improvise at times. He let John Cusack improvise. He would let certain people improvise and certain people not to. He just knows actors so well. And when he did speak to you about a little thing, he was right. You know, very smart and writes great scripts. So just say the lines, bro. Say the lines. That's all you got to do. You know, really Really wonderful director, man. Really. Yeah, no, I play. I love his films, and you talk about modern day cancel culture. I'm really disappointed that a lot of his films last few years have had a tough time getting distribution, all, all without a right. trial or anything like that. Well, look, you know, I'm talking about his artistic life. His sure, life, understood. Understood. Yeah, I don't want to get you roped into business. anything controversial. Yeah, no, that's that's. That's his business. Fair enough. We'll, we'll hold off on that. Hey, um, Chaz, yeah. I've really been enjoying this podcast that you've been doing. It's called The Chaz yeah. Palmentary Show. It's available wherever podcasts are available. Anyone that's listening to you, they can see how busy you are. You're doing live appearances. You're directing films. You're acting. Why do you do this podcast? Certainly, it's not a shortage of things to do. It's not boredom. Why are you doing it? No. You know what? I always wanted to have a, a, a forum where I could just speak my mind about things and have other interesting people on, uh, actors and writers. And I have a very eclectic, eclectic uh, people that come on my show because I, I, you know, look, I have a lot of followers. It's great. I reach a million and a half people a month, but I, I don't, I don't care about followers. <clears throat> I care about doing, uh, meeting people. I, I, I have neighborhood guys on and talk about the old days. I have, I had John Edwards, the psychic on. I had Billy Joel's a songwriter. I had Alan Menken, another songwriter. I had comics. I had the great Bill Burr on. I had Colin Quinn. And I just like people that I like, and I hope the other people like them. Yeah, and I love so that interview you just, did with Catherine Narducci the other day, or a couple of weeks oh ago my God, from The Sopranos. Narducci and, and, and Tara kind of Tracy, a comic. So, and I love it like that. I, I really do. And it, it just stimulates my mind as a writer. But, you know, again, I want to just, I, I really want to mention that I, I am going to be in Springfield, Massachusetts on the, the 10th, on the 10th of October, October, excuse me, October 14th. I'm going to be in Springfield at the MGM area in the casino, the ballroom, and October 20th. I'm going to be in Reading, Pennsylvania, at the uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, at the Sanderson Performing Arts Center, and October 21st, I'm going to be in Glenside, Pennsylvania, at the Keswick Theater. And again, people can go to my Instagram or go to ChasePalmetary.net, and they can come and see me. Because to me, out of all the things I did, of everything I've ever been in my life. As a writer, producer, director, I, to me, the, I am most proud of the one-man show. I, really I, I 
I can absolutely see why. If people haven't seen it, they should absolutely check it out. ChazPalmentary.net. You know, uh, Chaz, I'm on in the middle of the night, and a lot of times I'm speaking to people that are alone. Maybe they've lost a loved one. Maybe the kids have left the house. Maybe they're having a difficult time health-wise. And a lot of times they're battling with issues related to mental health. One of the issues that struck me about your podcast this week is the emphasis that you placed on mental health. Can you speak to that a second? How do you manage to stay in such a positive mindset and any advice for people that may be coping with a tough time? You know, it's funny. I, I talk about that a lot because I get people that talk to me, to talk to me about that. And I, and I could, and I could tell you right now, what I, what I do is, is long and, and, and believe me, I've been in therapy for a long time and I have one of the greatest, the world's greatest, uh, Trace, uh, Dr. Phil Stutz. In fact, if you watch Netflix, there's a movie on him. It's called Stutz. And reading, I love to read. I read about, I read uh, uh, books about mental health and I study things. Now people got up. And what it comes down to, Frank, and I tell this to well, your listeners out there, you cannot, the only way to get out of mental health, uh, excuse me, and, and again, let's be clear, I am not a doctor. If you're having serious issues, please sure. see someone who is a doctor, uh, you know, a psychiatrist, a, a psychologist, whatever. But I learned one thing. Forward motion. As long as you move forward with action, sometimes even if you're depressed, when you're depressed, people sometimes have to wait till they feel better to do the action. In other words, oh, I'll give you an example. Oh, I, I, should, I really should work out. All right, well, as soon as, I, as soon as I get out of this funk, I'm doing it. No, that's the wrong way. The right way is to go run and get out of the funk. Do the action before you do the thought. The action will help you because you cannot be depressed and you cannot have a, ha- you cannot have a, ne- a positive thought and a negative thought at the same time. It's impossible. It's impossible. You can't do it. No one could do it. That's one thing I learned. So if you say, oh, I should write. You know, I want to be a writer. But where do I get inspired? No, sit down and write garbage if you have to. Because <laughs> you'll get out of the funk. And that, it's a simple thing. But it's forward motion. Everybody cares about the, the, the they think it, they live their life through a rearview mirror. And you know what? And then the, the, if it's not a rearview mirror, they're nervous about the future. So if, you, if you're depressed about the past and you're nervous about the future, then you're not living in the present. And there's a reason why they call the word present, because it's a present. It's a present from the universe, from God, from Buddha, or whatever you choose. If you live in the future, and, and if you live in the if you you've got to take the present. People are so depressed about the past. It's too late. It's over. And they're worried about the future. That didn't happen yet. Mm-hmm. If you're worried about, never happens. So live in the present. And that's, how do you live in the present? Forward motion. Spend more time with your family. Spend more time with your kids. Write a book. Work out. Don't take that chocolate cheesecake. Uh, <laughs> if you do that, you know what? If you do that, it's increments, increments. There's a wonderful book called 
Atomic Habits. It's a great book, wonderful book. And, I, you know, I recommend that. It's small increments. Everybody thinks they got to change their life. Oh, my God, I got, I'm so depressed. It's increments. You start getting up early. You start working out. That's all. You do that for a few weeks. You know, all of a sudden you go, you know what? I feel better. I'm going to start eating better. You start eating better. Now you start, well, I think I'm going to miss a meal. I'm going to fast a little bit. Before you know it, the dominoes of life are, fall, are falling forward again. They're not going backwards. So all your listeners out there, it's your next moment that counts. That's what counts, is your next decision that will decide your happiness or your sadness. Make the Chaz, right decision. I- I hear people uh, calling for you. I'm going to let you go. I really appreciate you being so generous with your time so early this morning. Uh, I want to talk to you about cigars. I want to talk to you about your restaurants. Let's talk again soon, if you don't mind. Yes. I have, and again, people say I'm crazy to open two restaurants. I have two of the top Italian restaurants in New York, one in White Plains, 264 Main Street, the other on Manhattan, 30 West 46th Street, two of the top restaurants in all of New York. God bless you. Just tell me, tell me, last question. Is being a restaurateur tougher than you expected? Is it easier than you expected, or is it about the same? Oh, tougher. Way tougher. Oh, my God. And and, and believe me, I, my, I, I'm blessed with great partners. Great, <clears throat> excuse me, great partners. You know, Jack and Jeff Sinaj, they own the uh, Empire Steakhouses. You have to go with people who have a history of, of great restaurants, successful restaurants. Anybody who opens up a restaurant for the first time, you might as well just pack it in. Forget it. It's not going to happen. So, it, yes, Chaz Palmentary, thank you so much for the time this morning. I hope we can chat again soon. God bless. Thank you. Uh, people should check out chazpalmentary.net. See the live version of A Bronx Tale. Uh, fortunately, we're out of time. No time for 15 seconds of fame today. We'll double down with more time tomorrow. That does slam the lid on things for today. Frank Morano, good day.